Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is June 1st, 2022. We're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time we have uh, together this evening. We are so thankful for your grace, your salvation grace, and your sovereign grace. We thank you for uh, this church and the fact that we have uh, a place where we can come and discuss your thoughts, your wisdom, and we can understand our um, what's going on in the world and our place, our role here. So we thank you, Father. And as, as I'm thinking about it, uh, what's at my mind now is some of those people who are sick among us. Um, we're asking for a prayer for them you know our hearts. I can think of a couple names, Gretel and Lenora come to mind. And I'm sure there are others. Father, we're asking for prayer, for comfort, for healing in those cases. Also, Father, we uh, ask for wisdom as we approach your word tonight. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are in Romans chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verse 8 tonight. Verse 8 says, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. So we're going to cover this verse tonight. Uh, we're going to attempt to anyway. Uh, we've been dealing with Israel, and one of the things that I've noticed about Israel is there is an uncanny sense of um, similarity between Israel's failures and some of the failures that we have in the church today. So I think it is telling. It is certainly something that we should pay attention to as I think about Paul's detail going into these scriptures in such detail. It makes me understand that, yeah, he's not just doing it so that we can be familiar with Israel. He's doing this so we could understand how we should function under a calling as well. So that's one way to look at this. And so that is, we're, we're going to cover some of those points tonight, I'm sure. So in your notes, it comes as no surprise to God that Israel would react in the way they did. We can easily say that because of God's omniscience. And of course, the verse is found in the Old Testament, obviously. Their stubbornness was known throughout the world. God's response to them was also known widely. When we consider the end of the story for Israel, it is not a hopeless story at all. And it is still true. Quote, This is what the Lord says, Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, will I reject all the descendants of Israel, because of all they have done, declares the Lord. That's Jeremiah 31, 37. There are more promises there as well for Israel. So we can know, if we ask the question, does Israel have a future? We should positively say, yes, they do. Will God go back on his word? No, no. God's purpose for Israel will be realized. That's one thing to note. Uh, even though Israel objected to this and uh, tried to make a point that God had forsaken them, he had not. And he goes through great detail to explain it. Now, I think there's another thought as well, one that I, I already mentioned the one, but the fact that there is a dispensational change from Israel to the church. There is a hidden 
dispensation. So I would say that God has extra patience dealing with Israel because of the dynamics of this change right here. So what we, we should understand that this change was hard. It was not easy. It wasn't easy for the disciples. And it wasn't easy for Israel at large. So God gives special attention. He gives special explanations. Even when Israel questioned his sovereignty, which God could have reacted with uh, uh, anger or wrath or justice, but he didn't. He had mercy, long-suffering. Obviously, when Israel didn't listen, though, he did spank them often. But when it comes to this dispensational change, and when you look at verses like Jeremiah 31, verse 37, you should know that Israel has a future. Guess who else looked at those verses? Israel did. Israel knew these verses were right there in the Old Testament as well. And so it is, un, it is incomprehensible to them that God could have now taken this path to now choose the church. But God demonstrated through signs, wonders, and miracles so that there was no question that this was the direction that he was going. And you could question it. However, they, God has told us in, more, no uns, in, in many ways, not just words, that this is the way. Walk in it. And Israel refused. They just refused. So anyway, we're going to go to this verse and we're going to talk a lot about Israel's failures. But I don't want you to think only in terms of failure when we think about Israel. Because... There is a glory that belongs to the nation. And that glory will continue be through the tribulation, beyond the tribulation, into <clears throat> the eternal state. Israel will continue to exist. God's purpose will be sure. So we're going to break down this verse as we can, as best we can. As it is written... Okay, the first thought is when the subject rela relates to Israel, we have much testimony in the Old Testament to give us context. Now, I'm just making this point known because I just, whatever scriptures you see me using, there are probably 15 or 20 more that I could have used. There are a lot of passages that deal with the many disciplines and stubbornness that Israel had. I should have said that, the reverse. The many, uh, the stubbornness and f what follows is God's discipline of them. So, and it, it, it's, the Old Testament is replete with information about Israel's failures. So, just to point out, do I need to give more context? No, no. I think the Old Testament has worn that out. Point B, this is not the case for the church since it was hidden from the Old Testament audience. Now, you, you should know, I think we know here, that we clearly talk about the church being a mystery. So in Ephesians 5.32, Jesus says, uh, Paul says it actually, 5.32, he says, This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So we don't really have Old Testament information to clearly tell about our plight here in the world. We can look at the Old Testament, but that's not going to help us because we're not Israel. And the Old Testament deals with, for the most part, Israel. I mean, yeah, Gentiles are there prior to the forming of Israel, and Gentiles are thereafter. But primarily, God is dealing with Israel, his nation. It's point C, therefore, to understand our identity, purpose, and destiny, 
it will not be found in the Old Testament scriptures. Now, this is a point that I would love to make to people who only want to talk about the Old Testament. I mean, every time they stand up to teach, somehow uh, they gravitate toward the Old Testament passages of Scripture. Now, is this wrong for you to go to the Old Testament? Absolutely not. But my point is to understand our identity and purpose and destiny, who we are and what we're supposed to be doing, what is, why God called the church, and what about our destiny? It's not found in the Old Testament scriptures. It's not there. So to teach the church as though or if it were Israel would be completely off base. And God could have just told the church, hey, well, you know, just read the Old Testament. But you don't find Paul telling you that your destiny is found in those pages. God's eternal purpose is not in the Old Testament. So this is an important point for us to make when we see people who are fixated, focused on uh, showing antidotes in Old Testament stories, uh, how Israel did this, and this is how we ought to be doing it, and so forth. When we are not of this world, the things that God has given us, eye has not seen, ear had not, has not heard, Old Testament has not penned, the things that God has prepared for us who love him. <clears throat> so we have a, a completely different agenda than those of the Old Testament, of Israel, Gentiles. We're not either. This point, I would hope um, you would think logically from all the scriptures that we have seen, people would gravitate to this point, but they have not. They have not. So, when we say, as it is written, obviously it is, when you see that in scripture, it is not about the church age. Because the church age was hidden from Israel. Let's keep going. Point number two. God gave them a spirit of stupor. You might say, what? That word just sounds very close to stupid. But that's not the case. Don't, don't look at it that way, please. And plus, just remember, we already said that Israel will succeed. They will, but yes, they failed, yes. But they will succeed. So let's not use this time to jump on uh, the bandwagon that Israel is a failure. We understand their failures, but we're looking forward. So let's, let's keep going. God gave them. Let's look at what does it mean that God gave them this spirit of stupor? How did God give them this? How, how, how can that be? Like you would think God wants Israel to listen to him and, and, and be attentive to him, but he gives them a spirit of stupor? Uh, let's read it. So, by God presenting <clears throat> over and over salvation by grace and their rejection increasing with each refusal, right? that's how it happened. That's how they went to sleep on God. I would call it the Pharaoh effect. That's what, how you would want to look at this. It's like what happened to Pharaoh. Israel repeated what Pharaoh did. Why did Pharaoh, <clears throat> first God came to Pharaoh and he told him, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no, <laughs> are you crazy? I'm not letting your people go. Just get out of my face. So he said, if you don't let them go, I'm going to visit you with plagues. And there were ten plagues. Each one, uh, Pharaoh finally relented and said, you know, this is bad. I'm going to let the people go. Then he changed his mind. So this whole thing about, well, first he never really wanted to let his, God's people go. He kept changing his mind. So what, what the result was that every time God asked or told Pharaoh, let my people go, it angered him even more. And he dug his 
feet into the ground to the point where he would not be moved. He would not let the people go, even though his hands were forced to do so. So it became a power struggle. So eventually, obviously, God is more powerful than the most powerful nation in the world. There is no doubt about that. And God showed how Egypt was destroyed. Pharaoh and his army were drowned in the Red Sea. They even made songs out of it in the uh, final analysis. But Pharaoh dug his heart. His hard heart was just dug into the sand. He really would not do it. And every time God asked him, his heart got even harder. The resistance in his heart was even stronger. That is how it works. I'm just going to read Isaiah 29, 11 through 14. So we can see, because when we said, as it is written, we want to quote, we want to see where that is. And um, I'm going to pick Isaiah uh, 29. Here we go. Isaiah 29. And we're just going to look at um, 11 through 14. Now, 28 is, well, the whole book of Isaiah, if you want to take some time, the whole book of Isaiah is really uh, shows Israel's failures. If you read the book of Isaiah and don't come away with the fact that Israel failed, then you have no ears to hear or eyes to see because it is so apparent in all the verses and chapters that Israel did not even See, I mean, even when we get to the fabulous chapter of Isaiah 53, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? So even the writer there is asking, who would believe this? Not Certainly not Israel. So anyway, you get this, uh, 11 through 14. This is where Paul is quoting from, but he could be quoting from other passages because other passages do reference this whole thought. But I'm going to use this one. Uh, verse 11, for you, the whole vision is nothing but words sealed in a scroll. And if you give the scroll to someone uh, who can read and say, read this, please, they will answer, I can't. It is sealed. Uh, so notice, it's really not sealed. But the person who can read, it is basically sealed to them. They have no understanding of what they're reading. That's what uh, he's trying to say there. Verse 12, or if you give the scroll to someone who cannot read and say, read this, please, they will answer, I don't know how to read. So basically, Israel is bereft of knowledge and wisdom from God because that's their attitude. The Lord says, and this is what he says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Now you should know Jesus quotes this from the Old Testament and he he correctly assigns it to those Jews that he was dealing with in his day. Verse 14, therefore once more I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish, the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. So that's where he's getting this from. We have eyes to see, right? We gave them a spirit of stupor. This is, we just need to understand then what it means by stupor. So I just got the Greek word here. And here's some of the meaning. A A prickling sensation as of the limbs asleep. Now, we've all had that, uh, sensation I'm sure where you've sat too long and your arm fell asleep or your leg fell asleep a certain way and it it felt like it wasn't even your leg after a while or that here's I'll continue with the definition that is by implication perhaps right perhaps by some confusion there are some words that are similar stupor lethargy slumber and these are some of the words that could also be translated Uh, whenever God spoke, Israel, it was like a pall that came over them, like a, like a, a drowsy sleepiness. In other words, I can't hear you, God. I can't hear you. And it's so sluggish. In other words, they have, they had no attention to God, no humility towards God. 
So point C, in other words, the effect God had on them was mind-numbing. And they were lethargic to do anything God wanted them to do. So 29.16 is, an, we're already in 29, so I'll just read 16. Uh, yeah, you turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. So what is formed, say to the one who formed it, you did not make me. Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? So this is where Paul goes in Romans 9, 21. He quotes this. When we were dealing with Israel, uh, and uh, when we were talking in, in verse 9, but let me read verse 21, same thing. Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? So Paul is using that same thought that he's seeing here. And the thought here is in Isaiah is that uh, they are having issues listening to God. And they got their own plans, their own thoughts and ways of doing things. And they are telling God, God, this is what we should be. right? I, God has a purpose for them, but then they switched it around and said, no, here's what we're going to be. Here's who we are. Wow, that's an insult. To the sovereign God. That's what that is. So whenever God spoke to them, it was like they couldn't hear him. Their, their mind was numb. Uh, whenever they had to do something for God, they were very slow and dragging it out. They didn't want to do it. Right? That's the thought. So point D, there comes a point when after repeated resistance and stubbornness, God will allow a person to have their own way. And I use John 3.36 for this, but there's plenty of scriptures in the Old Testament. But I want to bring us into it as well. Because this can happen. We can become hard of heart. We can resist the Holy Spirit. Uh, and when I say we, I mean people in our day. This is, even though this is directed toward Israel, it can happen to any of us as well through repeated and re constant resistance to the uh, will of God. And eventually your heart will become hard towards the, the promptings and the urgings and influence of the Holy Spirit. So that even when you feel or you hear the, the words of Scripture, uh, it will invoke a response of anger and frustration. Not just, well, I heard it, I heard that already, I heard that already, but it just takes it to a level of frustration and anger. The more you hear the very thing that God is tugging at your heart to do. So that's what happens. That's how it eventually you can get to a place of hard-heartedness. And, and so John 3.36 is the perfect scripture for this, in my view. Because it shows, it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Now, the word believes is there, and believes is pistuo, right, or pistis. I think this is the, the verb, believes, and he has eternal life, if you believe in the Son. But whoever rejects the Son, now rejects here is not just, I don't believe. It is refuses to be persuaded. Who's trying to persuade the person? God, the Holy Spirit. And when they use, and the word here is patho, and it's not pistis. And it's to say, basically, I keep resisting, I keep resisting. And what will be the result here? God's wrath remains on them. That's, in, that's good to know for us, because we should know that there are consequences Obviously, when it comes to salvation, the consequence of not believing in Christ is you are still condemned. God's wrath remains on you. Uh, the consequences as a, for a Christian <clears throat> who ref, that refuses to, uh, to, re, to respond to God according to their calling would be you remain a, a child, a baby, right? someone who is immature, but, you know, and you don't grow up in Christ. 
And obviously there will be some divine discipline in that area as well. God will deal with his children. So back to our notes here. Hopefully that's a point to make, but it's not a warning per se, but it's just something for our awareness, that we should be aware that as believers we are responsible to God. Consequences will never be that God will throw us out of salvation, but he will deal with us, just as he did Israel. So, so what happens here? Let's see. So God gave them a spirit of stupor. And we're, we're saying God did this in the way Pharaoh, um, it happened with him. He continued to expose Pharaoh. Yeah, God had mercy on whom he has mercy, according to Romans 9. Pharaoh, well, he had mercy on Pharaoh, but that mercy turned Pharaoh's heart very hard. And eventually, Pharaoh ended up at the bottom of the Red Sea. So, so it says, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear. So eyes and ears, is the first point, represent spiritual eyes and ears. The heart condition is resistance to God and his word. So let's think about this for a minute. When we understand, when, when the Bible talks about eyes that cannot see, ears that cannot hear, he's not talking to blind people and deaf people. He's talking to people who have great vision and great hearing. What don't they have? They have no humility towards God. All they have for God is rebellion and sluggishness, slumber. So every time God speaks, they take their time. They're sluggish. They're slow to learn, slow to hear. All those verses. And there's so many verses in the Bible that deal with this condition. So point B, well, let me just look at some of these verses before we get to point B. So Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Let's look at that one. Uh, Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 says, He said, this is, you know, the whole thing. I I should read 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And And this is Isaiah. And I said, here am I, send me a classic verse. And then, but he goes on. He said, go tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make uh, the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears understand with their hearts and turn and be healed now see this verse a lot of people kind of look at this the wrong way this verse is not saying that god wants them to do this but he's saying this is how they're going to receive the word isaiah so when you go and talk to them they're going to have this reaction they won't be able to see but go there and tell them anyway because this is god in mercy warning these people but their, their hearts will be callous. It will make them callous. Your word will make them callous, make their ears dull and, their, and close their eyes. Uh, and he says otherwise, in other words, there, this is a possibility. They may see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. God will do that. But those are the two things that can happen when people hear the word of God. And especially this people. Who's this people? Israel. So this verse is pretty much just like what we just read here. Uh, and then there are some more verses that deal with this. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 5, 21 through 24. Let's look at that real quick. Stand by. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 5, 21 through 24. Okay, so 21. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord? Should you not tremble in my presence? 
I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it, can, it, it cannot cross. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. But these people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned aside and have gone astray. They do not say to themselves, Let us fear the Lord our God and give who gives autumn and spring rains and season, who assures us of the regular weeks of harvest. So this is a lack of humility toward their creator. They don't even respect him as the creator. It has gotten to the point where they just would not listen. So when eyes and ears are used and you can't hear, you can't see, it's God is talking about Israel. Now, I was talking to my daughter earlier today and as I was looking at some of these things and I thought and I heard her in the background as I was looking at this and she was saying something to one of the kids and she had to say it four times <laughs> so I'm reading these verses and I'm hearing her and they're as um, they got ears they can hear but they can't hear because there's a problem and what is the heart of the problem? Rebellious. They're rebellious at heart. It's not that they can't hear. It's that they don't want to hear. And as I was reading these verses, it was a perfect example. So much so I had to tell her. I was like, you know, I'm reading these verses and this is exactly what, what's going on here. She says it. She calls them, calls them again, again, four times. Before the and then it was a slow response. It wasn't like, well, I want to, you know. No, it was no humility. It was rebellion. And that is exactly what God is saying about the children of Israel. They have a streak of rebellion that, of course, as we read the Old Testament, God had to deal with them many times and in many ways because of it. They got plenty of spankings, plenty. And we're seeing. As we get to the tribulation, we're going to see that Israel will get through this, yes, but no, this is what they went through as children. They are stubborn and rebellious hearts. That's what they have. And so when we see those verses about eyes that cannot see, ears that can't, that's what it is. Stubborn and rebellious hearts. So... Back to the notes, just to note, like I said before, we can get this too. Don't, don't get the, the big head. Um, and 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 is another one that even brings it into our time. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, another common verse. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Now listen, blinded the minds of unbelievers. So why... How or how could Satan do that? It's because they already are unbelievers, but Satan continues to try to keep him, keep them by blinding their minds, keeps them in rebellion so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So back to our notes again. So point B, all the seven churches have this type of message given to them. Now this this occurs, this phrase occurs seven times in Revelation, early chapters, two to three or something like that. Seven times. And here's the, here's the phrase. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the Spirit was speaking to Israel, and we already know what the result was. You do always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your forefathers did, so do you. Acts 7.51 Well, churches can be in the same category. We could turn our ears away from God. God could speak to us and we, didn't, we don't want to hear Him. We don't want to hear His voice. And that's the condition Israel had. So that's the thought of the seven churches as well. He who has ears to hear. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Point C. This is a condition where God speaks, but man does not want to hear God's voice. And this is a quote from uh, Romans 3.18. There is no fear of God 
before their eyes. They don't care who God is. And what we, we illustrated that in the Jeremiah passage where God has said, don't you know who I am? I'm the one who set the boundaries of the sea so they don't overflow and this and that. Don't you? And you still don't care? I'm the one who makes sure that you get rain and harvest time, but you still don't care. And you know who I am. You, the Gentiles have false gods, and you want to worship idols, but you know I'm the one who made the heavens and the earth. And you still turn your back on me and want to go and worship idols. No fear of God before their eyes, literally. Point D, God speaks through his prophets. Well, that's how God gets to them. When the prophets speak, obviously the Holy Spirit takes that and applies it to their hearts, which is why it makes them so mad. You know, if I speak, you could ignore me. You could just say, you know, Doug, you, I don't care what you have to say. You know, I don't have to listen to you. Who do you think you are? You could say that. But when, when, the, when God, when, when you hear the word of God, it's good for correction, for rebuking for instruction. Now, how does it rebuke you? God, the Holy Spirit, applies that word to your heart. And when you get that word in your heart, then you got to deal with it. And the way you can deal with it is two ways, just like we saw in the other verse. One, you could, you could have a calloused heart towards it. You could have resistance. Or, like it says, or otherwise they could turn and be healed. God, it could benefit you. It'd be good for teaching, instruction, correction, and righteousness. Man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So you could have those two different effects when it comes to the Word of God and it penetrating into your heart. So that's that's one of the things. So God speaks through His prophets, the Word of God, and Israel responded. How did Israel respond? This is really calloused. This is tough. They responded by killing and stoning the prophets. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 23. Actually, I, I should have said, well, I didn't put Matthew there. I'm correcting my notes. It should be Matthew 23 and 37. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often I would gather you as a Hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. Another discipline that they would yet to receive. It's coming. So um, imagine that. God sends a prophet to tell you what his will is, and Israel had a, uh, a reputation of killing the prophets. That's hard to understand. But those were God's covenant people, but yet they were killing their own prophets. It was tough to be a prophet in the, in Israel's day. Tough. So, so then we got this last point here, and we should have some time, looks like, to uh, rehearse uh, some of this. And if there's or if there are questions, we can deal with them. And then it's to this very day. So the whole verse says, As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see, and ears that could not hear, to this very day. Now, I, certainly, Paul is telling the story of Israel here. And the things written about them over the centuries are certainly true in the first century. So all those things that we read in Isaiah, which was 700 and 800 years ago for Israel, nothing has changed. Israel continues to be stubborn, hard-hearted, uh, you know, resistant to God and the Holy Spirit. They haven't changed. To Paul's day... This thing continued, uh, and that's what our last phrase is dealing with, that it's something that continued from generation to generation. And uh, point B, Israel does not have a patent on stubbornness and refusal to hear God. 
the church can also be guilty. And as we, as we progress in uh, Romans 11, we're going to find that the church uh, could also be disciplined. Don't think that God can't discipline us. He, he can, he does, he has, and he will. Uh, I think I covered all the possibilities of past, present, and future. Because that is, that is the case. God can and will discipline those uh, who are his covenant people. Um, even though the church isn't under a covenant per se, but he, we are under a calling. And we are responsible to God. So, so that's just a note. But even though, yeah, we're talking about Israel here. Oh, it's coming that he's going to deal with the church as well. Point C. Paul makes the comment about Israel and his day to show their stubbornness. Now, if I look at 2 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15, Paul is showing, uh, listen, Israel was a big deal back then because obviously Israel, they're the ones who instigated to get Christ on the cross and to persecute all the followers and disciples of Christ. So they clearly said where they were. Anyway, 2 Corinthians uh, 3, 14, and 15 says, But their minds... Well, let's read 13. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds, here we go, were made dull. See, this is the hard-heartedness, the eyes that cannot see, ears cannot hear. Right. For to this day... The same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Now, obviously, there is hope and there always was hope held out. But verse 16, but, when, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So... You could see the problems that we are dealing with when it came to Israel. Even when in Paul's day, whenever the old covenant, the Mosaic law was read, it was like Israel would be going to sleep when it came to Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and we got this new dispensation. They didn't want to hear it. They would not listen. So point D, <clears throat> I would extend this to our, our very day. Paul said it was even to this day. It, it, I would take that even further and say it is also going on in 2022. And I don't see any change for future, uh, at least the near future as far as I can see. So I would extend it to our day. Israel is not only rebellious, but they continue to this very day. And it, this is what Paul says in Romans eleven twenty eight. I think we're going to get to this verse at some point. But we already know. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. Well, they're, who's they? He's talking about Israel. Israel is our enemy. Mm -hmm. That's what it says. But as far as election is concerned, they're calling they are loved on the counted patriarchs. So when when we see this, we say, well, if you hate the gospel, you got to be an enemy of God. But God is saying, these are his covenant people. And so we just got to deal with this. It's going to be hatred in this world. Jesus said a time will come when those who kill you will think that they are doing a service to God. So we're talking religious people. They think they're doing us. And he was talking about the Jews. They will kick you out of the synagogues. They will do this. They will do that. He's talking about the Jews. They're enemies. They put Christ on the cross. They followed the disciples around to try to arrest them. And remember, the Apostle Paul was on that side. He was on his way to Damascus when Christ caught him on the road. And... That was the only reason why Paul did not go to Damascus and arrest more Christians, because Paul was converted that day. So, yeah, on the account of the patriarchs, God made promises to Israel. Who, how did he 
Why Israel? Because he continued, he made promises to Abraham. He reiterated those promises to Isaac. And he reiterated those promises to Jacob, which who became Israel. God can't go back on his word. He's going to have to keep his word. And as we already started out saying, Israel will succeed. They will uh, reach that pinnacle of what God and his glory had desired from eternity past. They will. So we could extend it to our day. It's still going on. Israel still is enemies. They're enemies of the church because they don't believe the gospel. Simply put. Point E, and we're closing this thought. So if you have any questions uh, or thoughts you want to consider, we'll continue. So point E is recall. Israel accused God of not keeping his word when he paused Israel and began to fulfill his eternal purpose for the church. And I'm just reminding us that this is the thought. This is why... In the first place, God is directing Paul to write this. He's not just giving us lessons on Israel, but he's telling us, as we already talked about, the reasons. One, the dispensational change. You know, it, God is understanding not only of that, but how Israel could have said, wait a minute, God, how, how is this working? God has given detailed explanations about how it all works, that Israel is on pause right now, and the church is being called out. And then after that, just like it says, all Israel will be saved. God will continue with Israel in, through the in and through the tribulation. So God is fulfilling his purpose for the church. And remember, this is Israel objected to this. They questioned the sovereignty of God. They questioned. They said, if you continue with this church thing, then the word of God has failed. So Paul had to come right out and say, no, the word of God has not failed. And he, he continues in Romans 11 to show why. So that's why we're dealing with these verses. And I think it will be um, good for us. We've learned a lot about Israel's failures. But we're going to continue. There are more to read. Um, but we're going to learn about the mercy and patience of God in dealing with his covenant people. That should help us as well. So I'm going to pause to see if, I know this is a good opportunity for us, to see if there are any thoughts, questions, ideas, anything you want to talk about. We have some time. The floor is open. Hey. I know we've talked about this before in, in a number of ways, but it, it, it still seems pretty amazing that we have the church age going on now, as it has been since Pentecost. Mm -hmm. And yet, um, Israel is still you know, um, grinding at the grindstone. Mm -hmm. still, um, you know, a lot of them are still following the tradition. Um, I've also met some that are not. That just loosely follows some of the uh, holidays and, and um, other meal restrictions and stuff. Um, so we do know that they can't be in both. They can't be in Israel and be a believer who's in the church. So they might be saved um, by the grace of God because they did believe in Christ. Um, but they may be doing things that are appropriate to the, or, or according to the calling that Israel had. Right, yeah. Yeah, that condition exists. <clears throat> there are Jews today. Well, they, they're in the church, obviously. We know the truth about it is that there is no Jew or Gentile in the church. We know that that's the case. However, it doesn't mean that uh, man, or those of us who believe, uh, won't abide by that rule and drop our cultural norms and standards and adopt the new life, the new identity that is ours. 
It doesn't mean that we will assimilate that doctrine. Because just because we believe in Christ, there are no conditions to be saved. There's no behavioral changes. There's no um, attitude adjustments or repenting that we need in order to be saved. So when it comes to growing in the spiritual life, that is all optional. Peter even said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. So that verse is, the emphasis is not on uh, to say that newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. In other words, that's a natural function. No, that's a command that Peter is giving us. As newborn babes, and then desire the sincere milk of the word, whereby you may, by, by doing this, you may grow thereby in your salvation. So, uh, that is a command, not just some natural function that babies want milk. It's saying that babies, Peter's saying, as you're babes, you need this to grow up. So you've got to take in the milk of the word, which a lot of, it is optional. God wants us to do it, but obviously it does depend on us whether or not we grow up. Part of our understanding in growing up is uh, who we are in Christ. People, some people who are saved may never understand that while they're here on earth. They may never get it. They may continue to look at themselves according to whatever designations they were in this world. When God has freed us from this, he's freed us from Adam and, and united us to the person of Christ. So we are not of this world any more than he is of this world. But they, they're, they're not going to get with that because their culture looms too large in their minds and they continue to think of themselves in terms of those cultural designations, whether they be Gentile or Jewish or you know Israel. They will continue to cling to that. It's their only way to serve God when we have a new and living way, says Romans 7. I'll pause. Is that what you were, were thinking of? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I think the one thing that I find uh, fascinating, I guess, is um, the split between what is required for salvation, and that is not by work, but by faith in Christ. It is a, by grace and gift of God, we know that. Um, so it's interesting that they could be at the point where they do believe, but then go back to the calling in, in, of Israel and not see that there is a distinction being made in the church age. True. I mean, I think, I think that's not something that is uh, Israel's alone. I think it is also something that happens to us Gentiles who have a Gentile background. Mm. There is a, a, a learning curve that we need to adjust to as well. We got to come to forget what is behind and press toward what is ahead as well as as Gentiles. Uh, many of us still continue to live and and uh, think like we did, and whenever we're challenged in those areas, that is what we consider something tough. You know, how can we do that? Well, that's not what I'm used to doing. We question it. So, but we have to have the humility. It's what Israel lacked. They said, no, no, we, we're not going to do what God wants us to do. We don't care what he says. We're going to do what we want to do, and that's the end of the story. And they were stubborn. And the more God requested them, finally, when God sent prophets to tell them, they killed the prophets. That's how mad and angry they were, that they didn't want to hear another thing God had to say. Can you imagine that? that they would kill the messenger. You know, I was thinking about when uh, we have ambassadors and send, we send them to other countries or they speak for the U.S. You know, to kill an ambassador would be a declaration or an act of war. And imagine that God sent his emissaries, his prophets to Israel and then Israel killed them. And they didn't just kill one prophet. 
They killed many prophets. And then they killed Jesus, which is... Uh, you could see, all you got to do is read the Gospels and see how pent-up frustrations and anger the Pharisees had when they were dealing with Christ and Christ was just dealing with them straight as, as he could with the Word of God. So, so I'll, back to the thought, though. Yes, it, it is hard for us as well. Um, but Israel, you know, they were the people of God. That, that is the point. They were. Um, right now, they're on hold. And God is going to continue to deal with them. But there is a game plan that God has that he's fulfilling with the church. Israel needs to understand that. Yes, it's a dispensational change. These are these are big deals, big things that have happened. And so we can understand, you know, God had been dealing with Israel for over 1,400 years. So now here comes the church, and all of a sudden things change. People are not willing to think of it. Now, just a good example of that is... Um, just if you think about like new age people, there was this whole new age movement that was here and people were talking about all this spiritual rocks and you know, listen, I'm probably mischaracterizing it and I, I bet I am because I don't, I haven't learned much about it. But they wanted us to believe that this is a new move of God and here it is, right? Uh, we rejected it. We didn't want to hear it. We didn't want to think that it could possibly be true. Um, they even boasted of miracles with these rocks and things that they had. We didn't want to hear a word of it. And, and understandably so. Obviously the Bible does not support such things as that. But their Bible didn't support such things as we are talking about today. So why does God give extra time and energy to this? <clears throat> well, for those very reasons. He understands. He, he's compassionate when it comes to uh, Israel. And yeah, they could have... The, the early church was rough. It was divided. People, Some people were... The Jewish people wanted to go back to the Mosaic Law. Save Jewish people, cultural Jews. They wanted to go back. And... Just because you become a Jew doesn't mean just go out and get a pork chop and just eat it now and you know the truth. No, because that was the way they conducted themselves. They weren't about to change that easily. We've got Romans 14 and 15 to deal with in, in that whole uh, area. But when we get there, we will deal with that. The clash of cultures, whether you're Jew or Gentile, Bond or free, slave or, fr or free, barbarian or Scythian, and cultured or non-cultured, doesn't matter. All these cultures come together in the person of Christ. So, how we deal? How do we do? How do we do this? How do we get along? <laughs> well, this is the Father's eternal purpose, and God has made a way through the Spirit of Truth. We, we will talk about it, obviously, when we get there. Uh, other thoughts out there? Dwight? Other thoughts? No, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, have a, I have a thought question. Sure, Bill. Go right ahead. Uh, so we're always uh, referring to God keeping his promise on account of the patriarch. Yeah. So the question would be, so who is the significant patriarch? Um, that God felt so endeared to that he would keep a promise that he would, you know, endure throughout eternity. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and the thought is, when he talks about the patriarchs, it refers back to the fact that God called those patriarchs. And we're, that would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So those... To those, God gave specific promises about the nation Israel and his forming the nation Israel. He gave specific promises that, you know, this is what, who you are, this is 
excuse me, what you will be, and uh, this is your destiny, right? So through those, he had made very particular promises, and this all around the nation Israel. So, so even though they're in a place right now where they hate us, we're enemies because of the gospel, God still has a purpose for Israel. Because when we, th when we think about the patriarchs, we're talking about how God formed the nation Israel. He, he made promises to Abraham. He reiterated those promises to Isaac. He reiterated those promises to Jacob. And that's how Israel became a nation, through promises. So it's not, you know, he made one promise to Abraham. Nope, it's patriarchs, plural. He continued to make those promises until Israel got on board as a nation. So God had a purpose for them. So, so if he does not fulfill his purpose, that would be to say he made all those promises for nothing. That he called a nation and it failed. God failed in something that he set out to do, which he would not. He, God is perfect. His execution is perfect. And even the waywardness of Israel is a lesson, a lesson learned, not only for us, but for Israel. Before they can be that shining nation on the hill that God had envisioned, they needed to go through this. And, and so it is. So your thoughts, Bill? Well, I was just concerned, you know, like, like which are the patriots that he really gleaned towards? And you have to answer that question. Yeah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, these wayward uh, Israel... You know, God, and then it just shows you that Israel was a racial people. It wasn't just you know, a spiritual people. They, God wanted them to be spiritual. But racially, Israel, God will make sure that Israel continues on the earth. He will make sure of that. So, other thoughts out there? Sure. So when you think of the patriarchs, I mean, they were they were other patriarchs, um, other than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, weren't they? Well, when we think of patriarchs, we're, the reason why Abraham was called, and these are these are the only patriarchs. There were other prophets, but the patriarchs are a reference to uh, the forming of the nation Israel. That's what he's saying because. Because it is Israel that is at odds with the church. It, it is not no, you know, not Noah or Job or it's it, it's the nation Israel. Those are the ones that are at odds with the church. So that's the ones that he's referring to, that uh, are the ones who were the ones who received the promises, and were a part of the formation of the nation Israel. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm good. Other thoughts out there? Oh, it's quiet. But thank you guys for those questions. And is, this is a good time because, you know, Certainly, you know, we, we want to be able to understand what, what it is um, we're dealing with when it comes to this. Obviously, God has taken his time here, so, so should we. And we're going to be the beneficiaries of this as we go forward. All right. So we're going to just pray, and then we'll close and um, stand by. Thank you, Father, for... Uh, your word, and it's been preserved for us, even to this time we live in. We can trust it. We can rely on it. We can hang our lives on the very things we find here. Father, we uh, come to, to love you as with respect to our commitment and our dedication and our attentiveness, our humility towards you, Father. And because we, we have seen the failures of Israel, 
how when you spoke, they did not tremble at your word. They did not respect who you were. When you gave them prophets, they killed them, Father, and you didn't, they didn't want to hear what you had to say. But we do. Uh, we show up here twice a week because we want to hear from you. We want to know your will. We want to know what your word actually says. And we, we thank you for, for this forum where we come together and are able to discuss openly the things that are therein. We thank you for those who are participants, those who are taking their time and, and meeting together so that we can continue to hear from you. We, we pray for this church. We pray for the church universe or wherever they are in the world. We pray for them. And Father, as we said before, we continue to hold up those in our hearts that we hold dear who may be sick among us. And you know the names. All this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. 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 Amen.